Welcome to Gather in Ministries podcast. We pray you will enjoy God's presence as you listen. Tonight we're going to talk about what is your mind set? What is your thought process? What is your response when trials come? Because we all know trials are going to come, right? John 16.33 I wrote this out in the Amplified because the Amplified will take the words and and actually define them as the Greek or Hebrew um, says it should be. So this is how this verse says. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In this world you will have tribulation and trials. But be courageous, confident, undaunted, and filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory complete and abiding. We know Jesus has already won, right? Here's our thing. Many of us feel that victory is way over there and we are fighting constantly trying to reach victory. But the truth is, we are at victory and Satan is trying to pull us away from it. You are already in a place of victory because Jesus is in you, you are in him, and he has overcome the world. So you know what that makes all of us? Overcomers. You know, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Now, we think about that. We're like, well, conquer wins every time. How can you be more than that? What? I'm more than a conqueror? The conqueror wins every time. How can I be more than that? Well, you're more than that for two reasons. Number one, you've already won before the battle even starts. And number two, your job is to show up and and God fights your battles for you. A lot of us run from the battle and God's saying, hey, get back here, get back here, get back here. But then a lot of us won't think we have to fight our own battles. I've got news for you. You're not going to win it if you fight your own battles. But when you fight with God, and how do you do that? We have three weapons, right? Y'all remember those? The word of God, the blood of Jesus, and the name of Jesus. And when you start saying, listen here, I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and his word says this, now you're fighting a battle using God instead of yourself. See, I can stand here, I can tell you all kinds of things. It's not going to matter one little bit, anything I tell you, because I don't have any authority or power in my own strength. But I can tell you what the Word of God says. Now that comes with all power and all authority. So, you are going to have troubles and trials. Is your mindset as, I have to have victory? Or is your mindset, I have victory, and I'm not going to let Satan take it from me? Okay? We're going to look at 1 Kings 18. Because this is probably one of the most amazing pictures of 
a person's mind and how they dealt with trials. And we're going to start with uh, verse 20, First uh, Kings 18. Okay. Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Okay, so right now, we have to establish right now, our mind has to be firm then it goes what we said, our heart, our soul, everything. We have to establish right now that God is God and there's no one else like our God. That has to be where we start absolutely everything. Okay? You know, Joshua um, chapter 24 says, you, uh, this, you choose whom you will serve whether it be God of uh, Jehovah God or if it be someone else. You, everybody in this room has to choose who will you, you will serve. But Joshua said, but be it known that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he was willing to stand by himself and say, you all do what you're going to do. Go do it. I just want you to know my house is going to serve the Lord. But in our society today, it's very, very easy to get caught up in serving all kinds of gods out there, isn't it? I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, pressures from society to, you know, do this. Oh, we got to worship this. We got to do this. We got to do that. Um, Matthew 6.21. Let's start there. Matthew 6.21. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that word heart there means your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers. Okay? Now listen to what it says. It doesn't say, what I love, I'm going to send money to. It says, where I send my money is what I'm going to love. Oh. Okay. So, Jesus is the one saying this. And he said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And we know a lot of people that um, worship their homes, right? That's where their treasure is. It's where all their money goes to. Or we've seen people name their boats Money Pit because that is where all their money goes and that's where they want to spend all their time. Or whatever it is, you will follow the money wherever it goes. 
So you know what? When you say, you know what, God, you get whatever you desire from my life, guess what you're going to love the most? God. You know, but we live in a society, and Christians included, where God, you are welcome to everything in my life except. And we list three things. Don't touch my children, don't touch my money, and don't touch my hobbies. You can have everything else. Well, the problem is by the time you do your money, your children, and your hobbies, you don't have anything left. Right? Yeah. Matthew 6.24 says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, please understand, God is not saying if you're a Christian, you're not allowed to have money. You know, and for years we've been taught that if you have money, you know, that's a bad thing. I have news for you. If every Christian in the world's poor, the gospel's not going around the world. God needs Christians that can handle money and handle it properly. You see, he's not interested in anybody in this room having money. Please hear me. God is not, does not care if you all have a lot of money. God does care if money has you. Big difference. But we do know that that gets in the way of a lot of people's relationships. You can do anything you want. Just leave that alone. I had a lady say to me one time, I can't go to that church anymore. All they ever do is ask for money. And I said to her, I said, they ask for money? She said, every Sunday, they get up there and say, we're going to take the tithes and offerings, and we want everybody to have the opportunity to give. And they're just constantly saying, you can give to the Lord. You can give to him. You can. I said, don't you ever give a penny that you don't want to give. I said, because he doesn't want your money that way. I said, he isn't interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. I said, and once he has your heart, he has your money anyway. And if he doesn't have your money, he doesn't have your heart. Because the Bible says they go together. I said, so all you're telling me is God doesn't have your heart yet. She goes, well, you're no one to talk to. I'm going to find someone else. <laughs> I said, Okay. But let's be honest. You know, I can ask everybody to do all kinds of things. And as soon as you say we need money, you, nobody will come. That's my money. I have news for everybody in this room. Every bit of money you have is only because God is allowing you to have it. Please hear me. And we need to really have a godly heart toward our finances. And when we do, they don't get in the way of anything. They don't get in the way of anything. Then the other thing that's going on in our society is we've got to save the earth. Did you know that? 
we have people who have decided that nothing matters except saving the earth. I want you to see what Romans says about that. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Look, are we to be good stewards of the earth? Absolutely. Can we make the earth last one day longer than it's supposed to? Absolutely not. And all we are doing is telling people when they say it's man-made, when it's man-made, when it's man-made, well, in one sense, they're true. In another sense, all the men in the world can go and buy your SUV pickup trucks, and the world's still going to be here as long as God says it's going to be. Okay? We do not get to determine that. But you will see that people will actually develop a whole Thought process, their minds go to doing everything they can to save the earth. They're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Second Peter tells us very clearly there's going to be global warming, okay? The earth is going to catch on fire. It's going to get hot, okay? Global warming's coming, but not in the way people think. So I just want us to understand we are to be good stewards of our finances and we are to be good stewards of the earth. We are to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. But none of those things deserve to be worshipped. We worship God. Amen? <clears throat> All right. So Elijah, he's saying, you know, if you want Baal, you need to do Baal. But I'm here to tell you, I am not going that way. So, then verse 22. This is kind of funny. Elijah said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. I'm the only one left. Now, how many of you have found yourself having a little pity party when you're under a triumph field. You're the only one going through this, right? Why me, God, right? Have you been there? This isn't fair. All right, you all been there, right? I'm the only one going through this. Gloom, despair. An agony on me. Deep down depression. Excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. If you watched Hee Haw, you know that song. I'm telling my age. But having said that, Christians find themselves having these pity parties. And here's Elijah, and he's going, look, 
I am the only one. Now, I want you to see something very interesting. Go right up to verse 13, okay? Yeah, right here, verse 13. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves. He's not alone. He was already told there's hundred of them hiding out there, right? Now go back to Elijah, or go back to First uh, Kings chapter 19, verse 18. Okay, we're going to, as this continues to go on, we're going to find out, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those knees who have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Look, we already know, Joshua already knew he wasn't the only one. You all know when you start getting like that, that you're not the only ones. But boy, our mindset really allows us, our mind is so, oh, and Satan will come up there and he'll say, can you believe God's doing this to you? You're the only one. You should just give up because you're not a very good Christian to begin with. He's not doing this to anybody else. And if we would just step back and say, hey, wait a minute. First of all, it doesn't matter if I'm the only one or not. I'm still going to serve God. But even if that's true, who cares? But the truth is, all of God's children are going through this world together. Do you know that? We're all on this planet together. And Joshua 1, 9, you know what God said? Be of good courage and do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So I have news for you. You're never going to be alone. You're at least going to have God with you. And if you and God are together, you're a majority. Okay? You're not alone. If you and God are together, you're the majority. So, yes, yeah, so there's Elijah. First little mindset that gets, you know, a little bit earlier he's saying, you know, quit wishy-washing. Now he's saying, oh, my goodness, I'm all alone. So then we go over and... Verses 23 to 25, he says, this is exactly what we're going to do, okay? Get two bulls. Let Baal's prophet choose one for themselves and cut it into pieces, put it on wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, I like this because here's something very interesting. And this is something that we all need to understand. Too many of us are afraid to really stand on the word of God because if it doesn't come through, we're afraid we'll make God look bad. You don't have to protect God's reputation. He's quite capable of taking care of himself, okay? And if his word says it, you can stand on it. Elijah, or Psalm 50, 15 says this, okay? Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you 
and you will honor me. Okay? Call on me in the day of trouble. I'll deliver you. You can believe God's word. You know, and, well, what if God doesn't do it? Then we're all going to look like fools. I will say it again. Nobody in this room needs to protect God's reputation. He is quite capable of taking care of himself. And Satan has convinced Christians that God doesn't always keep his word, so you better not put his word out there just in case. No, you put his word out there and you stand on the promises of God. They will never fail you if you stand firm on the promises of God. So I like the next three verses. This is kind of funny here. Okay? They took the bull given them and prepared it. Verse 26. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. Okay? Now watch this. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Okay, I want you to see something there. We are now in a place in our society where the code word for everybody is tolerance. Oh, you have to be tolerant. Tolerant of sin, tolerant of evil, everything's relative, even though you know it's wrong, if they think it's right, you've got to be tolerant of it because you don't want to offend them. I'm going to tell you the most intolerant person to ever live was Jesus. And if somebody calls you intolerant because you're standing on the promises of God, that's the highest compliment you can get. And here is Elijah. He is not tolerant of their uh, custom at all. He is not tolerant of a false god. He is not tolerant of allowing anybody in Israel to believe that Baal might be a true god. And he mocks them. He mocks them. And I find it very funny because we look at this and we're, you know, it is a funny story to read. And, oh, he might be sleeping, he might be traveling. Do you know, Elijah, in this day and age, they would say that's hate speech and lock him up because he's intolerant. But the truth is, we do not need to be tolerant of things that are a lie. If it is not the truth, you do not have to tolerate it. So, okay, midday passed, verse 29, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. 
No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Okay. He took 12 stones, one for each of the tribe of the descendants of Jacob, to whom the the word of the Lord came, saying, You shall be named Israel. Okay. Now look. There is a beautiful sub-story here, okay? And many of us are here and we're saying, oh my goodness, I have worshipped the wrong thing. I, did, I was not faithful to God. And I am telling you that God is a God of restoration, And he is saying, you can rebuild the altar that has been torn down. You can rebuild what has been torn down by evil. And not only can you rebuild it, but you can rebuild it so that it is a picture of Jehovah God himself. And we will call it Israel. Yeah. Now, we don't have to beat ourselves up because we missed it. God is a God of restoration. It's a beautiful thing. You know, and so many of us think that once we've lost it, we've lost it forever. But God restores. He restores my soul. He leads me back into the paths of righteousness. He restores my mind and my will and my emotions and gets me back where I need to be. He built the altar that had been torn down. You all have an altar that has been torn down either by yourself or by a trial that has come in your life or by a horrible situation that has come in your life. And I am here to tell you that's not the end of the story. Nothing ever can and nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. He is always victorious. He always wins. He always wins. And so I'm challenging you. I'm encouraging you. I am telling you, you can take the pieces and bring them to God, and he will build them back together again for you. It's a beautiful picture of who God is and what the cross has done for us. You know, we talk about uh, the cross And you remember Jesus, when he did the Last Supper, what did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. Okay. I want to challenge you or just have you think about this. Jesus was beaten so badly he was not recognized. Listen. He was just totally, the Bible says, 
You couldn't recognize him. He had been beaten, and the skin was torn off of him, his back, and he was just beaten, beaten, beaten. And then he went to the cross, and he paid the price. But he rose again, and the members of his body that were totally destroyed were remembered at the resurrection. And you can bring your broken pieces and have them remembered because of the cross. There is restoration. Okay, verse 32. With the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, enough to hold two sails of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. All right? You with me? We got the altar built. We got the wood there. And we have the um, uh, altar. It's all ready to go. But he doesn't stop there. He says, uh-uh. You want to see how great my God is? Let's dump some water all over it. Let's dump some water all over it. I personally think this is a foreshadow of the living water of Jesus Christ being poured all over that altar. And that's just what I choose to believe. I don't have anything to back it up. I'm just telling you my personal belief. So four large jugs of water were poured on the offering and on the wood. Do it again. Yeah. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. I want to stop right there and say, in 2023, let it be known that God is the God of Israel. Amen. And I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so the people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Okay, what's Elijah's mind? Man, his mind is so there, isn't it? He is not wavering even the least little bit. He is standing on God's word, right? Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God, right? Yeah. We need to sing that a whole lot more than we do, don't we? He stood on those promises. He was not going to be wavered even one little bit. Okay? 
Look at verse 38. Then fire fell. The fire of the Lord fell, burn up the sacrifice. Now look at this. The fire was so powerful, it burnt the stone. The wood, the stones, and the soil. And also licked up the water in the trench. Now how hot does fire have to be to burn the stone too? That just wasn't any ordinary fire. That was a supernatural fire from heaven. You know what that tells me? God's faithful. God keeps his word. I'm telling you what, I see stone burning, I'm going to say, okay, that's some hot fire. Yeah. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate before and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. Okay? And they brought them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Okay. All right? Now, you see all of that happening, right? Now, here's the thing. Back in uh, 1 Kings 17, at the word of Elijah, at the word of Elijah, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay? How do you like that? How is that for somebody that is, his mind is so stayed on God that he is willing to say that? But then you know what he says um, to servant... Okay? He says, Ahab, eat and drink. There's coming rain. Okay? Now at his word, he's saying it's going to rain. All right? So, I'm going to tell you, two and a half years, it did rain. Three and a half years, it did rain. All that time, God was faithful to Elijah's word. But I'm going to tell you, if it didn't rain for three and a half years, I'd be a little bit nervous myself, saying, no, it's going to rain now. Um, don't we often say, I wonder if God will come through? How many of you have said that? I wonder if God will really come through. Of course God will come through. Our minds have to be stayed on who God is and on his word. He said, yeah, but it's going to rain. You better get going, it's going to rain. So he said to his servant, go um, and check and see if there's a cloud in the sky. Okay? A servant went running out there, and he came back. He said, there's nothing there. He said, go do it again. So he went and did it again, comes back, there's nothing there. Six times he sent him. Now, I'd be nervous after three. I'd be saying, uh-oh, uh-oh. I said it was going to rain, and there's nothing happening. Right? But you know what I love about Elijah? He did not waver from the promise of God. Oh, if we could get to the place where we did not waver from the promise of God, how that would change our lives, do you think? Seventh time, the servant came back. He goes, well, he goes, there's this little cloud up there. It's about the size of a man's fist. Okay, in the whole sky, there's one little cloud the size of a man's fist. Elijah says, we better get going. It's getting ready to pour. 
Okay? Isn't that interesting? He just needed that one sign. Just that one thing. And he said, we need to get going. It's going to pour. Okay, rain is coming. And then verse 46, it's very funny because Elijah, he says, get in your chariot. You better get going. You better get going. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and heavy rain started. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now listen, Jezreel, according to what the um, commentaries say, was 20 miles away. Ahab's in a chariot riding along. God gave Elijah supernatural power so that by foot he was able to run faster for 20 miles than the chariot was. You know, I think God was just saying, you know what, Elijah? You believed me. I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to get caught in the rain. We're just going to watch God do the supernatural. Once God starts doing the supernatural in your life, you can expect God to do the supernatural in your life. When you can believe him for those things, you can believe him for those things. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. Verse 1 through 4 of 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything that had happened. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Are you kidding me? You have got to be kidding me. He just had two huge supernatural miracles, and now one nasty woman comes after him. I kind of get that. Women can be pretty nasty, right? <laughs> and he's afraid and runs for his life. Yeah. Verses 9 and 10. You read all that, he's running, and that night he went to a cave. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know what he says? God, here's my resume. I was the one. And I did all this for you, God. Look at how wonderful I am. And now I'm the only one left. He's right back where he was. Oh, is that us or what? How many of you know God has done something wonderful in your life? Raise your hand. I want to see the hands. If you've seen God do something wonderful in your life, I want you to see it. Come on, keep your hands up there. Let's say, praise the Lord. He has done something wonderful, right? But how many of you are going to be afraid the next time something happens? Yeah, you see, but we don't need to be. It, you know, our mind needs to be same place it is all the time. Your mind, your mind during a trial cannot waver. Yes, you're going to have trials, but I have wonderful news for you. God wins every time. Hallelujah. He says this. You prepare a place before me where? In the presence of my enemies. 
And you know what happens when I'm in the presence of mine enemies? My cup runs over. I am blessed in the presence of my enemies. Your enemy may be sickness. It might be lack. It might be a person. It might be a situation. I don't know what Satan is using as your enemy right now, but you can be right in the presence of your enemies and be blessed with your cup running over because God always keeps his promise. He will never, ever stop. I would... Got some verses here. I just want to go to one, though, that I truly, truly love here, and that's James 17, or John 17. I want to read this real quick because this is something I really want you to see. You know, we already know Psalm 23. Lord's my shepherd. I won't want. I don't, I shall not want. Do you know what that means? You shouldn't want. You don't need to want. He's your shepherd. He's got you covered. Okay, John 17, this is Jesus praying for us, okay? Jesus is praying for us, all right? He says, I, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of joy. I've given them your word, and the world hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer isn't that you take them out of the world. Oh, how many of you said, take me away from this? Take me out of this. No. But that you protect them from the evil one. We're going to stay here. Do you know Jesus is praying for us? And he said, my prayer is, they're going to be in the world. They're not of the world. They're not participating in all that. And God, what I'm asking you to do as well in this world, protect them. How do you like that? That's Jesus praying for us. Yeah. Then he goes on and he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may truly be sanctified. Then here's what he says in verse 23. I and them, you and me. You know what that means? Stop and think about that for a minute. God says he is in Jesus. And Jesus is in me. Oh, look out, world. We are coming with some authority. Yeah. You see, you're going to have trials. But if your mind stays where it's supposed to be, you will find that nothing ever can and nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. And that even though you're in the presence of your enemies, you don't have to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of because God is our shepherd. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in to other broadcasts at Gather in Ministries.